are listening to the first episode of the History Society podcast, less a series and more a full-blown podcast channel dedicated to all things history. I'm Nicholas Woodsmith, and with me today is Christo Hatting and Martin van Staden. Let's get the introductions started with you. Christo. Thank you, Nicholas. It's a pleasure to be here. Hi, listeners. Uh, my name is Christo. Um, I am a student of philosophy, most uh, specifically, but as I always tell people, philosophy subsumes everything, and therefore I like to think I can talk about some aspects of history as well. Uh, my general interest is in the history of philosophy, uh, the history of sports in general as well, and then, of course, the history of world wars. And next on, I um, assume, his right, actually, who, which of you would be on the right or left, I'm not sure, uh, is Martin van Staden. Thanks, Nicholas. Yeah, I am a trained lawyer. I'm currently working on my master's degree uh, in law uh, and I work in public policy. My interests, uh, if you couldn't have guessed, would be uh, legal history uh, mostly um, and then also a lot of political history, specifically as it relates to Southern Africa uh, and specifically prior to the 1990s. Um, I think much of that history influence the way uh, at least the three of us live here today in the southern uh, reaches of Africa and much of it is unknown so that's definitely an interest of mine um, and yeah I also dabble a little bit in military history also as it relates to to this region so yeah that's going to be my focus the legal political and a little bit of military history of southern Africa and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, thank you. And I'm Nicholas Woodsmith. I am the sole formally trained historian on this podcast, but as I would like to make clear, and possibly will in the days to come, um, be, you don't need to be a professionally trained historian to be an historian. As uh, Christo said, um, philosophy subsumes everything, and in a way, uh, history also subsumes everything past that. Um, so if no, that wasn't hard, I got you to agree with me already. Hmm. No, of course. Well, you know, I also <laughs> <laughs> I also studied philosophy, so I'm also on your side here. Um, uh, Martin's the odd one out. Oh boy! But uh, I'd say I'm always so outnumbered by this problematics uh, arrangement now. <laughs> I will say, if philosophy is the giant whale which is consuming everything, um, there's a smaller shark, but still quite big, which is history consuming everything else in, uh, inside there. And then there's just some ugly-looking uh, mathematical octopus in the background, um, which the, the, the whale's going to eat later. <laughs> uh, the History Society is a podcast channel dedicated to providing a wide variety of historical topics. Episodes that we plan on releasing will range from group discussions between the three of us and maybe more, interviews with experts and perhaps other amateur historians. As I said, we all own history, and you don't really need a degree to practice history. You just need to be able to read a book, be able to look at data, and just be able to have an interest in the collective experience of mankind. Um, so even though I might be qualif a qualified economic historian, I believe that everyone has a story to tell about history. Um, my story is gonna be uh, quite general. Well, economic history is my main focus. I do have an interest in uh, a lot of world history, medieval history, uh, military history, um, a lot of imperial history. Um, you'll be seeing a lot of different topics coming from me as I need to justify my degree somehow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so the plan for this podcast is initially to start quite casually. We're all going to be speaking on our own topics, mostly solo episodes, sometimes collaborating. But um, history is an awful long time and an extremely massive topic. So there's plenty of room to grow. And hopefully we might grow into um, an institution of sorts. And um, you should see this, the History Society, not so much as a singular podcast series, but more as a channel on TV that you can tune in to individual episodes that catch your fancy. All of us have our own different styles, and even um, with singular hosts, we may have different styles per different episodes. Uh, for example, I plan on doing quite a few episodes which are going to be more of an argumentative audio, audio essay, where I'm going to try to convince you to believe something that I believe. But others are going to be more um, fun story, where I'm just going to be detailing what an event of history more like a storybook. So those might be quite relaxing and quite fun. And um, do you guys want to talk about some of your plans going forward? Go ahead, Martin. Yeah, so I guess uh, my main reason for getting uh, or for being interested in, in uh, engaging in a project like this is um, specifically on telling the other side of the story. Uh, and I must say, again, it's going to be mostly limited to, to Southern Africa uh, because in our history and I guess in uh, in world history, uh, and this is probably cliche to say, is that uh, the victor is the one who gets to control the historical narrative. And we see this very clearly in South African history uh, when the um, the English... Uh, somewhat dominated politics in South Africa. They really uh, focused on a specific uh, interpretation of, of history here, and that was the, the dominant view. And then when the Afrikaners gained the upper hand, uh, they uh, used their political uh, influence and dominance to enforce that interpretation. And now today, um, somewhat of a kind of a Marxist uh, mishmash going on where another particular uh, uh, interpretation of our history is enforced and I find this to be somewhat limiting in, uh, in, in society gaining a useful grasp of history so what I will be focusing on is telling the other side of the story as it relates to us today so I would generally be avoiding the post-colonial revolutionary or even uh, you can go as far as to say the liberal interpretation of south african history uh, southern african history i will be going into more conservative uh, even nationalist uh, uh, reasons for many historical phenomena even though i 100 percent disagree with practically all of it personally and ideologically i just think that 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 side of things has been unjustifiably ignored uh, in our history books and in our history discourse. And I think it will be useful for everyone to know all the sides of the story that have brought us to where we are today. Um, and that does mean I will need to uh, suspend my own beliefs, at least uh, in, in many episodes, maybe not in all of them, uh, just to make sure that all the sides of the story are told. So yeah, that's broadly my idea 
uh, going into this. But yeah, the best best made plans can change. So we'll see what happens. I'm just quite excited to see uh, how this this uh, project develops. That actually brings us uh, quite conveniently onto um, a good general topic for an introductory episode for a history podcast, which is discussing the philosophy of history and historiography. So historiography, for those who aren't familiar, is effectively the study of how history is studied, told, and recorded. So as you were saying, history, especially in Southern Africa, but all across the world, is studied in a particular way. And um, it's as you, the, the old quote says, uh, history is written by the victors. I would actually expand that uh, history is not necessarily always written by the victors. It's written by those who actually want to write about it. And that's why you actually do get some um, empires which are extremely vilified, despite technically winning, because they just decided not to write about their own victories. And all the people they oppressed decided, wait, actually, we can write. Um, but in a way, that is kind of a temporal victory anyway. Um, so hist historiography is... Um, has different approaches, and I'd say that um, each of us have our own view of how history should be studied and how it is studied. Um, I, for one, believe that um, the general focus on unbiased history is um, a fallacy in um, uh, in schools and the way that a lot of academics will teach it. Um, in fact, a lot of uh, universities are starting to realize this, especially with the rise of postmodernism in um, universities. And um, I'm not using postmodernism as a dirty word here, more just as a rejection that there is a necessary universal truth. But um, how history is being taught um, more and more, and the way that I tend to lean towards is that history is recorded by humans, and humans are inherently biased. So we're always going to get biased interpretations of history. But this does not mean that we cannot ever understand what happened historically. So while a lot of postmodernists might reject that we can ever truly get an unbiased view of history, I believe we can dilute bias by using many different accounts. So for example, by um, Martin, by your approach of using a lot of conservative sources, you're balancing that against the mainstream post-colonial uh, post sources. And in a way that starts diluting the bias between both of them so an attentive reader can try to come towards a, an informed and unbiased conclusion in between it. Well, as unbiased from their sources, they're going to have their own biases and fixed sources, obviously. And we're never going to escape that. And I think it's fine that we're never going to escape that. Um, Christo, what is your approach to history? Uh, thank you, Nicholas. I think I broadly would agree with you. Um, I think the any sort of hint or attempt at uh, not looking at history through a biased lens fundamentally misunderstands uh, humans and human nature. Um, we each come to a particular investigation of something with different lenses, how we grew up, the environment in which we grew up, uh, the schools we went to, the people with whom we interacted, all of that sort of thing. So. I would say my approach with any aspect of history in particular is to gain a semblance of knowledge or truth ab about that period and that for some people will demand interrogating many sources, for other people it might be interrogating just one or two sources. I think it's important to keep in mind that you're never going to move away from the bias in and of itself. It's it's a part of storytelling. I mean, history 
for yourself as a, as a, an academic, maybe and much more qualified historian than the rest of us, I would say history is simply an investigation of of certain stories. Uh, it's a way of storytelling. We we get folk tales passed down to us from parents and grandparents, and then we get the stories that we read in history textbooks and that sort of thing that our teachers um, help us, well, that they should help us understand. Um, so broadly speaking, I would just say my approach is um, look at a period of history or a particular event or an incident um, with the goal of um, understanding it and also placing it within a certain context. Nothing happens in a vacuum, nothing happens in a void, uh, for example, I don't know, the Vietnam War didn't just happen, it wasn't just plonked down out of nowhere, there were all sorts of causes leading to it, all sorts of effects. It took place in a very specific context and period in history, and that goes the same for any event, I think, that one would investigate throughout human, throughout the millennia. Um, that's the, the great thing about it. It's not, it's never just about looking at the event in and of itself, it's looking at in what situation it took place, and then what you can sort of learn from it and what you can glean from it going forward. Um, I would also like to say there's no, for me at least, there's no sacred cows with these sorts of things. Uh, tradition in and of itself doesn't deserve respect. A tradition or a custom or anything like that um, serves a particular purpose and it should be investigated. And then the same with stories from history that we learn. Uh, you should investigate them. You should see what narratives they further or don't further. And then you should decide where, based on your own reason and investigation whether it serves a useful purpose for you or not. Hmm. Uh, Martin, is there anything you would like to add? Yeah, I guess um, I guess I want to in some way preempt, uh, I guess, some of the criticisms that may come our way, uh, maybe specifically my way, um, just to expand a bit on on what I have in mind. It's that in our context, at least, uh, and I, I think this is probably extrapolated um, to many other contexts around the world, uh, our history is told very much uh, with a political agenda in mind. Uh, and for as long as we have state schooling, that will always be the case. And I guess that's that's fair enough. I can't imagine that if I were in government, I would do it any other way. I would also have a political agenda in mind when I push um, uh, the history that is taught, uh, taught in schools. Uh, but we must be aware of the fact that uh, how we understand history very, very much determines how we act today. Uh, I don't think most people realize this, um, but a lot of how we act, what we think, and how we interact with other people today uh, is very much colored by our individual, but I must also say collective uh, understanding of history. I think there is much to be said for uh, collective histories. Um, it often depends on what cultural community you come from, where you have a an almost an intuitive understanding of quote-unquote your history or the history of quote-unquote your people um, that is shared amongst many people. Um, but that uh, that definitely colors, especially how you interact with other people. And just to make a brief example, the land reform debate in South Africa is very, very intimately entwined with how you understand history. Um, and what I want to do is to at least say make 
make the point that what we have accepted as almost the gospel truth, at least for the last 25 years, is not necessarily, um, I don't want to say it's not necessarily the truth, but um, being somewhat of a postmodernist myself, uh, is not the only truth uh, that is out there. And that uh, the thing I really want to get to um, in many of my shows is that the people whose uh, the, the sources that I'm going to use are not malicious, uh, I guess, ideologues necessarily, although many of them certainly are ideologues, but they sincerely believed what they were writing. They sincerely believed what they were saying, and they sincerely did not believe that what they were saying was evil, even though, as I said here today, I think much of it probably was evil. Um, but with that, I want to cut through the the uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't necessarily have the the uh, uh, the historian's um, uh, word for this, but the dominant um, orthodoxy, uh, orthodox interpretation of history. I want to make that point that this is not necessarily the only one, and I'm sure that many critics. Uh, are going to listen to what uh, I have to say and probably what you have to say when it comes to uh, the history of the British Empire and say that we are looking at this issue from a particular uh, perspective and that perspective includes us excluding the perspectives of marginalized uh, groups and individuals who were um, not treated fairly and we are... um, setting aside their history in support of a particular narrative that secures our own interests. I'm very much aware of that criticism, um, but uh, I would just like to say that I I think I understand the history from both the perspectives, but the only reason why I will be focusing on one perspective is because the other perspective has been uh, or is currently the dominant perspective and most people i would say maybe i'm wrong but most people understand and know about this perspective whereas the other perspectives that i wish to focus on are quite unknown and i think if we know them they will help us uh, gain a better understanding of um, our forebears Uh, and the mistakes that they made and how they came to make those mistakes and maybe um, got some things right Um, and that we don't necessarily regard uh, our fellows who have suspicion but rather with a sense of understanding uh, uh, and specifically understanding that these views are sincerely held rather than necessarily um, malicious. So yeah, that's a long story but I I would like to... uh, answer the criticisms that we or I will inevitably get uh, uh, given the the periods that I will look at and specifically the region that I will look at. Well, I'm hoping for critics personally. Um, so I think to add on to your point, it's Im- extremely important to contextualize history. And um, I think there's a big problem that a lot of um, non-historians, I don't really get it as much from people with an interest in history, is that they like to judge uh, historical periods and historical individuals by the standards of modern day humans. And of course, they, in some aspect you can. And um, as long as you pre- preface it with, well, I don't like this guy because he was a cannibal and I don't like Hannibals, 
and because I'm a modern human, you can't really understand that there was not enough food to eat and cannibalism kind of was what they needed to do. But um, what I like about history as a subject in general and why I think it's one of the subjects that I've probably um, maintained as my largest interest, uh, interest since graduating from university is that there is a disconnect between us as the historian and the period that we're studying. And as opposed to something like politics, because of that disconnect, there's not as much, um, I'd say, irrational criticism as there is in politics. When there's still, there still is a lot, and you were discussing and anticipating some of the criticism that we get there. But the further back you go, um, well, Genghis Khan, for instance, killed a lot of people. He displaced countless people. He ruled over one of the largest land empires the world has ever seen. Um, how many people are offended by Genghis Khan? Um, technically, we kind of got a Genghis Khan must fall protest uh, in uh, Cape Town because um, the statue at, at Rhodes Memorial is actually technically Genghis Khan, but they didn't know that. They thought it was Rhodes. Um, but the further back we go, the less people seem to really um, get emotionally invested in something. And that makes it sound bad, but I actually think it actually means that we're able to study something with um, more rationality and more impartiality because I do, a lot of time I do not have a personal vested interest in the courts of ancient, uh, ancient Thailand. But it's something I can still find interesting. And I think that's part of the way that we can dilute our biases. Um, obviously, if you're going to be going to more modern history, uh, such as what you're doing, Martin, it becomes a lot more difficult. But also then it becomes also a lot more useful to it has a lot more immediate use. Um, you actually prefaced um, and created a good and actually preempted the next topic, which is the philosophy of history. So if historiography is how do we do history, um, the philosophy of history is why do we do history? And um, my answer for this is um, effectively history is the cumulative experience of mankind. And if we, um, if we consider a, an individual as developed because of the experiences they've collected throughout their lifetime, we should consider a civilization developed through the collective experiences that it has recorded and experienced throughout its entire existence. And I believe that civilization develops through its ability to learn from its past mistakes, its past successes, and effectively to create, uh, to not to anthropomorphize uh, civilizations, which is something we're all going to do because we all inevitably see, have an, an abstract image of the United States in our head and the British Empire in our head. But we kind of should see civilization in a way as a collection of experiences. And I don't think that civilization is possible without our ability to look back and um, learn from our forebears. Um, to quote Isaac Newton, uh, we can only see so far because we stand on the shoulders of giants. What would um, what are your thoughts on the philosophy of history, Krista? Seeing that you are a philosopher like me, so <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's really opening up a potential uh, can of worms there, Nick. Um, no, 
I think it's these are important points and questions that you raise. Um, so, you know, the whole experience of history, of studying history at least, you know, for some people it'll be the written word, for some it'll be the spoken word. Uh, some cultures focus very much on history being passed down as stories uh, that they tell, that the elders tell to the young, um, they pass on. Uh, they also contain moral um you know, sentiments as well. There were some battles or facts of history that uh, that took place centuries ago become infused with certain moral sentiments and moral lessons. Um, some would say that, you know, that's pretty much this, the main focus of the Bible, for example, other historical um, and religious texts is their main goal and reason that, that they were written down and, and sort of put together is to impart the moral sentiments and moral view of that particular religion so in terms of the philosophy of history of course when you apply any you know when you apply the the word the concept philosophy um it's always to me at least it, it's supposed to denote an undertaking a um an investigation into knowledge into asking questions into investigating something uh, if you do the philosophy of science the philosophy of mathematics you're trying to interrogate certain concepts and themes within those particular fields and indeed you're trying to figure out why you're doing that stuff in the first place so i think you you very much point to what i think a lot of people should ask themselves why are the lessons of history important why are certain periods important why are certain events so important and mainly uh, to get to the point where you realize what came before has a deep impact on what is happening now and what happens now will indeed uh, impact greatly on the future on our children on our grandchildren i know martin hopes that he can have uh, at least five grandchildren one day so the work he's doing now will have a massive impact um on his grandchildren one day and the future of South Africa. Um, that might be taking way too grand an approach, but I very much think that you should as an individual see your own decisions um, and interactions with people as having a ripple effect. And if you can understand how the actions and decisions by people in the past had this massive ripple effect on or how we're living now, you begin to see some of the value of studying history and why it's so important. You, Nick, mentioned uh, Genghis Khan. And I've seen the numbers bandied around, but I think some people have tried to figure out exactly um, how many people around the world now can trace their genetic lineage to Genghis Khan because of the uh, <laughs> the wide range of amorous activities in which he engaged. Uh, to put it that way. <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, just from one individual and what he managed to, uh, you know, I put this in scare quotes, but what he managed to achieve and the wide range, that the wide impact that that had. So I think just always with the philosophy of history, keep in mind um, you're studying a particular period and an event with the goal of trying to figure out why it happened and what it might help uh, you figure out about the future. Hmm. Martin, anything to say about this? Yeah, I think uh, if, if I could get to a specific example or something that I will almost certainly cover at some stage, but something when I first realized this, it kind of opened my eyes to how not just useful no understanding history could be, but how much fun it is to realize that this is how things turned out. So in South Africa, at the turn of the last century, uh, we had a war called the South African War or the Second Boer War. On the one side, you had the Afrikaners and on the other side, you had the British. From the Afrikaners side, you had two people, um, two generals. One was General Louis Boeta and the other one was General Jan Smets. 
Um, after the war ended, uh, there was going to be a unification of the British colonies and the South Africa, the uh, Afrikaner republics. Louis Boeta was very interested in something that they called conciliation between the British and the Boers. They, uh, and Jan Smits agreed with him on this. They wanted to create a united South Africa. Uh, add a little asterisk there between the white races of South Africa. Um, and they called this conciliation. And mostly under the authorship of Jan Smits, uh, who was Louis Boeta's deputy, the South Africa Act was written, which was the Constitution of South Africa, and it was enacted in 1910. Um, and that provided the roadmap for South Africa henceforth, that created the Union of South Africa. Um, and there was, there was a lot of excitement around the South Africa Act and this union. Uh, it actually led to economic prosperity, uh, again, the little asterisks, uh, mostly for white South Africans. Um, and that continued for a few decades until uh, the National Party took over in 1948, when um, there were some very radical anti-South uh, Africa Act sentiments being aired by the nationalists. Uh, they opposed the constitution. Now, fast forward many more years, you had a conflict in South Africa, uh, the struggle against apartheid, uh, mostly the white South Africans against the black South Africans. Of course, that's not, it's definitely not as simple as that, but for purposes of this quick summary, on the one side, you had two people, uh, Nelson Mandela and Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, Nelson Mandela was very interested in something called reconciliation, uh, wanted to make of South Africa a united uh, South Africa between uh, black and white. Cyril uh, Ramaphosa mostly agreed with him on this. Um, and under, the, uh, under uh, Mandela's guidance, Ramaphosa was the person who mostly uh, led the negotiations and the drafting of the constitution of South Africa that we have today. Um, and around that time when South Africa was being uh, united and uh, creating this new constitution, there was a lot of excitement. Everyone was very happy about it, ecstatic. And uh, the enactment of the new constitution led to a lot of um, prosperity and uh, uh, happiness generally. Um, but then a few short decades onwards, i.e. today, there is a very, very strong and almost tangible um, anti-constitutional sentiment bubbling up. And that might actually lead to another political party under the colors of that anti-constitutionalism coming into power. So here we have this, to me, a very, very interesting and very real parallel where history in South Africa has almost to the letter repeated itself. Um, it's almost the exact same story word for word. Um, and here's the kicker and probably the most relevant aspect of uh, philosophy of history. And that is that even though we've repeated our history word for word almost, we did not learn from the mistakes we made in the first round. Uh, we created a very weak constitution in the form of the South African Act and 
one could argue, and I certainly do argue, that that is what eventually led to apartheid being adopted so easily um, and uh, the National Party having so much power. And I'm sure that if I told many uh, revolutionaries in the 1970s, they would have agreed with me. Yet, uh, fast forward to the early 1990s, we repeated that history exactly the same way almost that it happened. And again, in many respects, enacted a somewhat weak constitution. It's, I think it's stronger than many people give it credit for, but it doesn't go quite far enough. Here we had our quite recent past laid open before us. We had all the lessons that that history tried to teach us. And I think history is a terrible teacher because of this reason. Uh, and we didn't do anything with it. We just repeated that history exactly the same way. And I think that is uh, why we need to study history fundamentally. It is to learn lessons. Uh, this very star stark example for us shows that if you look closely enough in history, you will find what you are going through right now. It's going to be right there. And there are going to be ex um, strengths and weaknesses in what they did in the past to deal with that problem. And those should be lessons to us for how we deal with our troubles today. I think people totally ignore history, even though uh, these are usually the people who uh, trumpet history the loudest and say, but look at what happened here and uh, look at your your forefathers, what they did here. Uh, but they themselves do not actually take, <clears throat> take the lesson from history. And I think a big part of that is that in, in South, South Africa, at least, a lot of history is being lost um, because uh, for some reason, uh, I'm not sure why this is, in the United States and in Europe, old history books keep being reprinted, even though they don't necessarily get bought. Uh, history is kept alive from many perspectives. In South Africa, that is absolutely not the case. There is very, very little history on many things in our quite recent history that is still available for people to consume. Uh, it's definitely not on the internet. Um, the only place that I have seen it is in my bookshelf. And uh, that is why I have decided to take it off of my bookshelf and put it on a channel like this, uh, distill it for, for our listeners so that these lessons can be can be learned and so that that history won't be totally lost um, and hopefully our few our descendants or even our current fellows will draw a lot of benefit from this and uh, and learn some of these lessons i think that the old quote is uh, um, holds true that those who do not understand history do not study history are doomed to repeat it there's another quote by orwell which i'm going to butcher um, that he who controls the past controls the present, he con controls the present, controls the future. Um, and I think that highlights how important history is as a political tool. And I would like to posit a reason why South African history is not being reprinted, is that it's inconvenient for the current regime. And um, we know that a lot of the people who use history as a weapon in South Africa, as you already said, they don't really understand it. 
and there's a huge political and historical fiction that uh, perseveres in South Africa on all sides and um, and it just doesn't match up with the historical evidence so I think that um, hopefully between the three of us and um, our future guests we'll be able to start demystifying and destroying this well possibly entertaining completely fallacious um, history that a lot of people uh, that has been shoved down upon us by um, not one but two authoritarian regimes thank you for listening to this episode i look forward to sharing my passion for history with all of you wonderful listeners in the near future you can follow the history society on facebook our page name is the history society and you can subscribe to us on youtube with the same name or subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform Make sure to spread the word about the History Society if you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for future content.